good morning. It's good to see you today. I I want to spend the first couple minutes here uh, and just uh, refresh your memories a little bit. Something that some of you heard me standing up here talking about, you know, some time ago, and and uh, um, but I know there weren't some that are there uh, at that time, and and for others, uh, just to refresh memory that we have been as a church, we have been in the middle of a succession plan that has been going on. In fact, we first kick started this almost three years ago. Um, and, you know, it's kind of a long story how that all got started. But, you know, I, as many of you might recall, back uh, nine years ago in 2014, I had a heart attack. And, and uh, you know, we thought, okay, well, that's done and over with, move ahead. But um, then I ended up, uh, as every year or every nine months went by, I had another stint you know, put in, and, and so I've got like six cents now. And anyway, all of that was causing me to initiate a conversation with the elders that we all knew was on the horizon, but we figured it was going to be a half, you know, we were going to pull that trigger a couple of years later. But but for the welfare of the church, we felt like this succession plan needs to happen a little sooner than what we originally planned. Because... Um, Historically, if you look at churches that have had a pastor that was a long-term pastor, uh, which I had been here for 28 years, um, and so I would qualify for that, I guess you could say, um, that when there comes in someone to follow that, uh, there is too high of a percentage of times that that doesn't turn out very well, at least during that first um change of leadership, and we did not want to be a statistic in that regard, so we wanted to be very intentional with all of this, and so that's why almost three years ago we started into this plan of uh, succession. We uh, did Zoom interviews with a number of different candidates and all, and it ended up being about, um, I don't know, about a little over two years ago, 26 months ago that we had a Zoom meeting with Kurt. Uh, and, and one thing led to another. Eventually, we invited him out on a weekend, him and his family, without telling the congregation, and because uh, we wanted them to be able to experience firsthand what it's like for a visitor that walks in the door and, and what the church is like and how warm or cold or whatever, you know, reception they get and all of this. And, and then on that weekend, we had additional meetings and all with them. And, and so Kurt now has been on staff for almost 19 months, a little over a year and a half. And we've kind of been very intentional with the transition. Initially, he's preaching once a month. And then after a bit of time, he started preaching like two out of five Sundays. And then we went through a spell where for a few months he was preaching 50% of the time. And then it started going the other direction, where I was preaching two out of five Sundays. And now we're kind of at the point where I'm preaching almost a, um, once a month. You know, I did New Year's uh, Sunday, and I'm doing today, and I'm doing February 19th, and and uh, because the plan is, on February the 19th, that will be 
my last Sunday as the lead pastor at Crossroads. And, and then I'm just going to disappear. And I'll say something more about that in just a second. But, but the very next day, February 20th, that is when Kurt officially becomes the lead pastor of Crossroads. And my disappearing is going to be very intentional. This is part of what uh, the elder, the eldership, you know, all feels is in the best interest in all the, uh, of the church. And I couldn't agree more that, you know, the thing we, we don't need during the first few months of Kurt's leadership is me seeming to be looking over his shoulder and in that way affecting him in any way or in causing people to think, well, I don't like this. Let's go talk to Brad, you know, sort of thing, and uh, which sometimes happens in churches that go through a transition like this. So for four months, I have been instructed um, not to be here on a Sunday, not to spend any time in the office, uh, to just kind of disappear. And so in in uh, uh, disappearing, I'm wanting to just kind of blend in, so I'm growing my hair out, and I just want to just want to. I just look like the average Joe out there. Uh, no, the whole hair thing's a different thing. But, but, uh, but anyway, that, that is happening and we're right up to that time now. So February 19th, I'll be sharing the message and starting February 20th, uh, Kurt will be, um, the lead pastor. And this, uh, you know, if you think it through, you already know this. This is a key moment in the life of this church. Um, we've never experienced a moment like identical in any fashion like this moment. And so I want to really encourage you to be supporting Kurt and his leadership. Uh, support him as you have supported me over the years. Now that doesn't mean that I'm asking you to follow him blindly, um, because I've never asked you to follow me blindly. In fact, I have challenged you multiple times with this passage of Scripture, and I want to challenge you with it today in regards to Kurt. The Bereans, in Acts chapter 17, verse 11, it says, Now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the Scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. And this is the way the Christians in Berea were treating the Apostle Paul who wrote half of our New Testament. But uh, they didn't just swallow hook, line, and sinker, what he was saying. Uh, they double-checked it with Scripture. And that has been the thing that I've always encouraged people around here to do in regards to any teaching that I have done, whether it be in this uh, fashion or it be in a small group or whatever. You know, you double-check it with Scripture. And, and I encourage you to be doing the same thing with Kurt. And But to be there for him, to support him, to love him. I mean, there's like 18 of you that like to always kiss me on the cheek every Sunday. Start kissing him on the cheek every Sunday, okay? So so no more of this with me. Um, but, uh, uh, but support him, be there for him um, as, as Crossroads continues. All right? And I think it would, oh, and let, let me just reiterate something here. Because oftentimes I hear people say, oh, I bet you're getting excited about retirement. If you want to use that word, I'm probably not going to correct you anymore on this. But I am not retiring, okay? I am, I am going to be gone for four months. 
but I'll be back on July 2nd, and I'll be on staff, and, and I'll be working in ministry in this church, except the thing is, I'll just be in a different position. I'll be an associate pastor on staff, okay, and for how long, I don't know, but but uh, but the plan is I am going to to be back, so let me just say, I'll be back. You know, that'd be a good line for a movie, I'll be back, all right, so... So I think it'd be appropriate for us to have a word of prayer about all of this, and a word of prayer in regards to to Kurt as well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your church here at Crossroads, uh, because it's just as Jesus said, as he taught the disciples that that he would build his church, and and your fingerprints are all over this place, and we thank you for the blessing that this church has been in days and months and years uh, gone by, uh, the blessing that has been to many families that are represented here in this room and beyond this room. Uh, but, Lord, we know that, that, that your hand of blessing it will continue with this church, and we thank you in advance for the blessing about the days ahead, the months and years yet to come. We pray that your hand would be upon Kurt and guide him as leadership that your spirit will um, guide him to be discerning, to have wisdom uh, in his leadership and to always be glorifying you and always, always shining the spotlight on our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayer and we thank you in advance for answering this prayer. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. All right, let's get into the message today. Um, I want to start off with a question, and this is the question. What are you waiting for? It's a good question. It's kind of reminiscent, perhaps, of a question that some of you parents in here have asked when you went back to wake your kids up, and, uh, and then ten minutes later you went back to wake your kids up again, and, you know, it's like, you're going to be late for school and perhaps this came out of your mouth. What are you waiting for? Get up. You know, so, yeah, it's a question that we throw around at times. Perhaps it was a question back, if you think back to your high school days or college days, and uh, maybe a buddy, you know, came up to you and knew full well that you had a crush on that certain girl, but you were too shy to approach her and say anything to her. And so your buddy said, what are you waiting for? Go talk to her. Yeah, it's, it's a, a question that's a very basic question that has application in a variety of ways. But today, we are looking at this question from a spiritual perspective. Because it is a question that is found in the pages of the Bible. And for that matter, it may very well, in, in the same kind of, of context and relevance that it has in the Bible, it may have that kind of application in your life because you might be in that place that right now God is asking this question to you. What are you waiting for? So so I think I think it's a valid place to begin. The guy that God tapped on the shoulder and gave the instructions to go talk to someone and to end up asking this question was a reluctant messenger. You know, when, when, when the Lord revealed to him who 
he wanted him to go and talk to, his name was Ananias, not the Ananias and Sapphira Ananias. This was a different Ananias. So, so when, when he was specifically instructed to go, um, let's just say he drug his feet on that. Here's the actual passage that gives us that indication. It says in Acts chapter 9, uh, Ananias says, Lord, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. So you clearly see that Ananias, he was hesitant, to say the least, to go and talk to a fellow and to ask him this question. The fellow that he was instructed to go talk to was none other than Paul, who eventually is known as Paul the Apostle. But at this particular point in time, he's still going by the name Saul. He is Saul of Tarsus. And Saul had quite the reputation. I mean, it's not hard for us to imagine why Ananias was intimidated by uh, the, the assignment that the Lord was given him. When, when, when Paul, or Saul, as the case was at the time, when he first appears in the pages of Scripture, he appears as a young man working the coat check at an event just outside of Jerusalem. What was the event? It was the stoning of Stephen. Yeah. Yeah, you read about that at the tail end of Acts chapter 7. That people that went out and the first Christian martyr, Stephen, he was stoned to death. Where did people lay their jackets, their coats, their cloaks? Where did they lay it? At the feet of Saul of Tarsus. So it's like he was just kind of watching and keeping an eye on it. So that's the first time he appears in Scripture. Then before you know it, that young fella, he becomes the point man in leading the charge as far as persecution of Christians is concerned. So you understand, like I said, the reluctance that Ananias was experiencing. In fact, Saul of Tarsus was on his way to Damascus, a city that still exists today. It's in Syria. But uh, he was on his way there for the purpose of finding Christians and arresting Christians. He had letters that gave him authority to go and do this. And so this was his full intention. But as he was on the road traveling to Damascus, there was a bright light that appeared that literally blinded him and a loud voice that said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he responded by saying, who are you? Who am I persecuting? And I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, was the response that he got. And, and, and then he was instructed to go on to Damascus, and there was a particular house on Straight Street he was to stay at, and there would be a fellow who would come and um, reveal to him what the Lord's will was for him. And so Saul needed to have people lead him there because, like I said, he was blinded. He was not able to see at this particular point. So um, he goes to this house, he's at this house for three days, and then Ananias, the reluctant messenger, appears and begins sharing with him. His, his uh, blindness is recovered, he's able to see again, and Ananias shares more 
uh, with him of the Lord's will. And then that's when Ananias asks the question, what are you waiting for? In fact, here's the full verse on that. It, it, this, the, the whole conversion of Saul, of Tarsus, is found in more than one place in the book of Acts. So that's why we were in Acts 9. Now I'm showing you Acts 22. Well, both chapters give a counting of this. And, and this is actually in Paul's own words as he remembers Ananias talking to him. This is what he remembers Ananias saying. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized and wash your sins away, calling on his name. And, of course, his name being the name of Jesus. And this is what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about baptism. And I felt like this verse is a great springboard verse to use launching us into that. There's several don't miss things that I want you to to be sure and get today. And so the first one that I want you to see, and that was part of why, you know, I told you some of this background here is that I want you to all right, um there we go. I want you to get this. Paul had some major league junk in his life that was going on. He, if you want to call it junk, you want to call it baggage, you want to call it issues, you want to call it failings, you want to call it sins, all of the above applies here. To appreciate what it is that was a part of his story, that uh, descriptive of his life, leading up to this point in time that Ananias was talking to him when he was in Damascus, um, let me show you many of these verses are some of the very things that Paul wrote himself looking back on his previous life. Paul was writing a letter to a young preacher named Timothy, and he says this in chapter 1, I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. Okay, so that is Paul describing himself before the whole Damascus Road thing played out. A couple of verses later, he goes on and he says this. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them. Get that? This is the way that, that, that Paul looked at himself in the life that he had lived, is that he was the worst of sinners. If you lined all sinners up, he would be at the front of the line as far as being the worst. But then he goes on and says, but God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. So what Paul goes on to explain there is, yeah, I'm the worst of all sinners. That's who, that, that's who I am. That's what describes me. But God reached into my life so that he could use me as an object lesson for others to show them that there is hope. Because God dealt with me, he can also deal with them. You go back to that passage where um, Paul first appears as Saul in the tail end of Acts chapter 7. You just dip into chapter 8, which when this was originally written, 
like I've said many times before, there were not chapter divisions. So just a couple of verses later, this is what we read in Acts 8, verse 3. But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. See, that's what he was all about. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. So this is kind of the heartbeat of this Saul of Tarsus, who becomes Paul. Uh, this is the heartbeat of his life. He's all about doing what he can do to destroy churches. Going back again to the other telling of his testimony in Acts 26, it says this, By the authority I received from the chief priests, I locked many Christians in prison. I voted to have them killed every time a vote was taken. Now, that seems to imply that there wasn't necessarily always a vote that was taken, but if there ever was, he was quick to shoot up his hand. He didn't have the authority to uh, um, execute people in and of themselves. But boy, if he could have any influence and his opinion could be heard, he made it very clear they should be killed. That, that was the way that, that he was approaching all of this. So when I say he had some major league junk in his life, he did. I mean, this guy, he, he was a vicious guy as far as churches were concerned. In fact, talking about churches, let's dip into another letter that he wrote, Galatians chapter 1. He says this, I violently persecuted God's church. I did my best to destroy it. This is what he was about. This was just a glimpse of some of his history. So now we go back to our main springboard verse today in Acts 22. And in verse 16, and it says, And now, what are you waiting for? Ananias said, Get up and be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. So now we have a little bit better of an appreciation for the sins that Paul had in his life. And though earlier, he probably really didn't care, because he didn't see a lot of that stuff as being sin. But now he's heard the gospel message, and here he is at this house in Damascus, and Ananias is talking to him, and he clearly sees his life leading up to that point. He sees it with 20-20 vision, and he fully recognizes the fact that it is sin, and that he has made awful decisions in his life. And this must have been music to his ears. The fact that forgiveness was a possibility for him. The fact that he wasn't beyond God's reach of forgiving. And the reason that I want you to definitely not miss this is because there may very well be some of you in here today who are listening and you feel like, at times you felt like you're beyond God's reach. There are some decisions that you've made in your life that still haunt you to this day. Because of some of the stuff that is a part of your past. Whether or not anyone that's sitting around you recognizes it or knows anything about it, you know about it. And during the quiet moments in your life, this is where your mind goes sometimes. And you really do feel unworthy. When you wake up on a Sunday morning and the thought crosses your mind of coming to this place for this purpose, you feel unworthy. Because of the kind of life that you lived. 
Yeah, I think there's some relevance and some reason that we need to touch on it. Because, because there are people that when they take a look in the mirror, they're reminded of how hurtful they have been to others. Because of stuff in their past. But the fact of the matter is there is hope. There is hope. And that's part of what Acts 22 verse 16 is communicating. God was using Paul as an example to show you and me that forgiveness is available. Sin can be washed away. No matter how sinful you've been. Even if you were the worst of sinners. So that clearly is a don't miss point. But there are some others I want you to get to. Another don't miss point is that when it comes to specifically the subject of baptism, which is all wrapped into the, the decision-making part of embracing Christ, you know, as Lord and Savior in your life, baptism, when it comes to that, oops, went too far. Uh, it seems that immediate is preferable. And you're going to see in just a moment, if you don't already know this, why I make that statement. Because the time that I've spent studying baptism in, in the various passages of Scripture that bring it up, this is clearly a message that comes through in regards to baptism. That it's not something that we are to um, be dragging our feet on. When you read the historical account of the early church, which I'm talking primarily there about the book of Acts, because the book of Acts contains not only the birth of the first century church, but it also includes the first 30 years of history of that church. And when you scan through those 28 chapters, you will see time after time after time that baptism was something that was immediate when people made decisions. For example, in Acts chapter 2, it's the day of Pentecost. Yeah, it's the day the church is born. And Peter is sharing a message with people that are there that live in Jerusalem, but also some out-of-towners that are there for the, the festivities relating to Pentecost. And uh, he's sharing with them a message. And part of what Peter explains is that Jesus is the one you crucified. And he describes who Jesus is. And people are convicted by that. Because now they realize, uh-oh, what did we do when we had him crucified, you know, not much earlier? Well, here's what his response was. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 people were added to their number. Get this, that day. 3,000 baptisms that day. You know, Peter didn't even like, oh, boy, there's a whole bunch of you here. So let's just kind of spread this out into seven groups. And, you know, we'll take a seventh of you today, a seventh tomorrow, a seventh. He didn't even do that. They were all baptized that 
day. So here, here they're, they're convicted. What shall we do? Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And, and uh, um, 3,000 people respond to that. And they are baptized that day. They didn't drag their feet. Not even a day beyond that day. Here's another passage. You flip over a couple pages in the book of Acts and you come to Acts chapter 8 and you read about a fellow named Philip and the Lord sent him out on the road um, from Jerusalem down to Gaza. And it was a desert road and so it wasn't necessarily traveled a lot. But Philip goes down there and along comes a chariot that is heading south and there's an Ethiopian that is in the chariot, and they're reading from a scroll. And so Philip shouts out to him, Do you understand what it is that you're reading? And the Ethiopian says, How can I unless someone explains it to me? And so Philip climbs up into the chariot, and the passage of Scripture that the Ethiopian was reading was from the writings of Isaiah, and it was a prophecy of the Messiah that was written 700 years earlier. 700 B.C. And so Philip uses that passage and explains the gospel story. Um, what Jesus did. His death and his burial and his resurrection. Shares all of this with the Ethiopian. Okay, so, so he's explaining all of this to the Ethiopian as the chariot continues heading south. And then we read about the Ethiopian interrupting him. And this is what we find. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water. Now, water would have been kind of few and far between. It wasn't like you'd see a pond over every hill because this was a desert region, right? So whether it was some kind of a stream or whether it was some kind of a pond or something or other, there's some water present. And so they traveled along. They came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? Apparently... Philip, when he was sharing the gospel story of Jesus, he also talked about baptism, because that's all a part of that presentation. It's all part of the Great Commission, if you want to relook at that at the tail end of Matthew 28. So he says, why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. And so here, here we have the very same day that the Ethiopian is here in the gospel message. He's baptized. They stop the chariot. They go down into the water. And then, I guess he's dripping wet, I guess, and gets back in the chariot. And the Ethiopian heads on. And it specifically says in the following verses that he is rejoicing as he heads on. Here's another one. In Acts chapter 16, Paul and, and some of his traveling companions, they come to Philippi and they're, they're wanting to find a quiet place where they can spend some time in prayer. And so they figure a riverbank is a good place to go. Here's what the text says. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth, or purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, 
who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. And so here she she is a, a worshiper of God. Pro, uh, I mean, I think what that is, is assuming there or um, implying is that in Judaism, but the message that Paul is sharing with her is the gospel he's ex- explaining to her about Jesus. And, and it's right then and there, and the water is at hand because they're on a riverbank, and she is baptized, and then she invites them all to go to her house, and, and it's a joyous occasion. A little bit later in that chapter, um, things really go south. As far as Paul and Silas, they end up being arrested, beaten, thrown into the inner dungeon of a prison. It's the wee hours of the night, past midnight, and there is an earthquake that takes place. The chief jailer comes into the jail and he sees the the cell doors open and he, of course, assumes everybody's escaped. And he knew that he would be held responsible and what that would mean is that he would be executed for his failure. And so he went ahead and took a knife and figured he'd do it to himself. He was going to kill himself. And it was at that time that Paul shouted and said, No, don't do that. We're all still here. And here's the way that played out. He, being the jailer, then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately, and that's where I got the word immediately in this, immediately he and all of his family were baptized. So here it was, the wee hours of the night, who knows, maybe two o'clock by this point in time in the morning. You know, but he's, he's heard the gospel now and... They don't waste any time, and they're baptized, all those that receive the message that have been shared with them. I, I usually, you know, use multiple translations when I'm looking at a particular passage, and out of eight translations, seven of them use the English word immediately, and the eighth one instead used the words right away. So, communicating the same thing. They didn't waste any time on this. Um, even though it wasn't the most convenient of times to do this, they still did it immediately. So, again, going back to our springboard passage that we started out with, what Ananias was saying to Paul, now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. Now we understand maybe a little bit better why Ananias said, what are you waiting for? Three days had passed since what had happened on the road to Damascus, and, and Paul had been in prayer here in Damascus, and, and so once Ananias had shared the gospel message and all, he's like, okay, what are we all standing around for? What are we waiting for? Be baptized and wash your sins away, calling on the name of the Lord. You get the idea. I guess a person could say it's not biblical for people to drag their feet when it comes to baptism. I think that's a fairly safe statement to make, just based on just the passages that I've looked at here today. You hear the gospel message, 
you believe it, you repent as what Acts chapter 2 talked about, and there's some other ones like Acts chapter 3 talks about that as well. So you hear and you believe and you repent. Why would you wait? You'd be baptized immediately, right away. I remember a time when um, years back in Illinois, there there was an 18-year-old girl that started coming to our church, and she knew bits and pieces, kind of fragmented pieces as far as, you know, Scripture is concerned. And But she was interested in knowing more. And I, so I had the opportunity of sitting down with her and basically connecting the dots for her so that, so that it, it was making more sense um, to her as to what the Scripture was teaching. And, uh, and she jumped on it right away. I didn't have to, uh, you know, nudge her or anything that she said, I, I want to be a Christian. And the faith was there, and and the repentance as far as, you know, um, the kind of life that she had been living before. She she wanted to go a different direction for the Lord's sake in her life. And uh, so I said, well, um, then you need to be baptized. And, and she goes, yes, yes, but I want my brother to be at it. And I don't remember what day of the week this was, but she said, um, he's coming home from college this weekend. So how about we do it on Saturday? I said, all right, we can do it on Saturday. And so on Saturday, I met them at the church, empty church, turned all the lights on, and we came in, and when our brother, you know, came in, he came in along with another guy. I don't know if it was a roommate or just a friend or what, but um, so there were four of us that were there. And while uh, we were getting into the baptistry, um, the uh, roommate uh, was standing, well, it was a almost not quite this distance, like, you know, back there where the donuts and everything will be in a little bit. Um, he was standing back in the back of the church, and, and he was talking, and he was talking really loud for, you know, there not being any other people. I mean, you know, and so I think he was talking in a way that he wanted to be heard in what he was saying. And then he started making some remark about, meanwhile, we're getting into the water and getting ready for the baptism and and he'd say he'd say, Yeah, when I when I gave my life to Christ, when I um uh, confessed Jesus' name, you know, it wasn't for ten years that I was baptized. Ten years later and he was kind of chuckling and when he was talking about it and, and I wasn't real positive how he was meaning for that to be taken. So I didn't even respond to it. Um but you know, in, in my heart, I was just like, you're bragging about postponing obedience to the Lord. What should be one of the first steps of obedience, you know, you're, you're boasting about, you know, putting that off for 10 years. And that, that just, you know, that, that really bothered me in view of the things that we've been talking about here in Scripture. You know, we should not have the attitude that, well, eventually, when it's convenient, I'll get around to it. That doesn't jive with the scriptures that we're looking at. Now, I've got one more, don't miss this point that I want to drive home. Uh, I want to I make sure that you see some of the imagery that is found with baptism because, because it is really rich. Um, the imagery that is found here. And it ends up being the Apostle Paul who probably does the best job 
of, of painting this picture for us to really appreciate. In, in Romans chapter 6, I want to show you the first few verses of that chapter. But before I show you those verses, let me just recap something that's found at the very tail end of chapter 5. At the tail end of chapter 5, Paul makes this comment. He said, where, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And so the point he's kind of making here is that, you know, man, if there is a load of sin, then God's got even a bigger load of grace, you know, to meet that and, and to take care of that. And so, so, you know, the argument that someone possibly could make that would be that, oh, really? So if I sin more, then I receive more of God's grace. Well, I want more of God's grace, so I'm going to sin more. That really sounds silly, saying that. But it found its way in the Bible. Look at this. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? That by no means we died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Okay, so, so what Paul is saying here is, is that was then, that's not now. That was the life we were living, that's not the life we are living now. So, so yeah, I mean, sin, it was a part of our story, but moving forward, no, this isn't something that that we are embracing or pursuing or with regularity practicing in our life because we're dead to it. We're dead to that old way of life. So keep that in your mind. We're dead to the old way of life. Now let's look at verses 3 and 4. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized in Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So you see the imagery here. We were dead, and in baptism were buried in Christ, and we rise to newness of life. We died to our old way of life, we're buried in a grave of water, and we rise to a new life. So now, you know, we have life stretching out in front of us, not death anymore, because that's been buried and done away with. Look at verse 5. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. So it's not hard to see the picture that... um, Paul is creating here. I know there has been a number of different ways this whole baptism thing has been approached and practiced. You know, when you start talking about all the different denominations and stuff like that, you know, you'll find all kinds of stuff out there, both in the quantity of water, sprinkling, immersion. You'll you'll find timing in a person's life, whether it be once they come to a point of faith or whether when they're first born. And, you know, and so there's a lot of confusion on this subject. As a matter of fact, I had, I had someone back, uh, um, this was during my college days, um, that I was working in the warehouse with, and he was actually the one teaching me the ropes. Um, it was a new job for me. And, and I tried to witness to him. And he was, oh, yeah, he said, I've, 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 got that. I'm a believer. I'm Christian. Uh, it's 
a little taken back because his language sure didn't give that impression. But uh, um, I said, oh, okay, great. So when did you make that decision? And he kind of gave me an idea. And, and I said, so did someone baptize you that led you to Christ? And he goes, well, yeah, as a matter of fact, they did. And he started saying something that wasn't making any sense to me. I said, wait a minute, back up and explain that more. And he talked about how he was baptized in a phone booth. Now, for those of you that are younger in here, we didn't used to have cell phones we carried around with us. You had to have a quarter. Even before the dime, you had to have a quarter, you know, to, to uh, make a phone call. And, and, uh, and he was saying he was talking to someone, and they baptized him on the phone. And I was just like, man, I am really struggling to wrap my mind around this. You know, because I've heard a lot of things about baptism, but I had never heard that one before. You know, so like I say, there's there's a bunch of different stuff that, you know, has gone on about this. And it has contributed to a lot of confusion. But my attitude and my approach, you know, has been ever since, you know, as far as day one in my spiritual walk, back when I was 17 years old, is it's best just do Bible things in Bible ways. You know, don't try to insert a bunch of convenience into it and say, well, I know they did it like that, but we're going to do it like this because it's easier. And it's like, oh, you don't want to start that kind of an attitude in your obedience to Christ. Let's just do Bible things in Bible ways. And that's the way that I've always taught it ever since. Paul was consistent, you know, in regards to this. He wrote to the church in Colossae, and he said, For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. And with him, you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. So, again, you have that idea of a burial and a resurrection. Over the years, I've had the opportunity, the blessing, to be able to, privilege to be able to be a part of uh, a number of people's baptisms. Um, Both of my younger sisters, I had the privilege, um, especially one of them during a very rough stretch in our life, but I had the privilege of, of baptizing them in Christ. Both of my sons, you know, um, and some of you in here can well relate with that, how emotional an experience that can be for a parent, um, you know, baptizing them in Christ. But there were some other times that, uh, as I, and I'm not even going to refer to any here in Shawnee because some of them are represented in this room. And that would be too emotional. So, uh, but I remember a guy named Ralph. And um, I, I did shipping and receiving uh, down at a job in Joplin when Colette and I were going to college. And we had a mandatory hour-long lunch break. And it didn't take me that long to eat. So I was like, what am I going to do the rest of this time? And so um, the oldest guy that worked there, uh, his name was Ralph. Ralph McElroy. He lived in Columbus, Kansas. And, and so I, I talked him into a Bible study. And so every day we would have a, a Bible study during, like, a half hour Bible study during, during our lunch break. And as time went on, I eventually got to that point where he had made that decision and I had the privilege of baptizing him. But it's kind of funny when, when I was recalling this, uh, earlier this week, I was thinking, oh yeah, that old guy, that the oldest guy, he was an old guy, and and I looked and I keep a record of some things 
um, in regards to my life and my ministry. And, and I looked back and I found his name. He was 63 years old. And I'm 62 today. So, you know, it's just like, okay, that's the way a 20-year-old sees things, is that if you're in your 60s, you're an old guy. I remember Blair, Blair Calloway. Blair is 38 years old. He lived out in the country. And I'm not even sure how I crossed paths with him. But I had the opportunity to sit in his living room on the couch and to share the gospel with him and his wife, Sandy. And after the first session, because we met at least two or three times, um, he started having his daughters. He had three daughters sit in on these. And after we met about three times and all, I ended up having that privilege of baptizing Blair in the Christ and then watching him baptize his wife and his two oldest daughters. Uh, we decided his youngest daughter didn't quite understand certain concepts, and uh, so she wasn't quite ready yet. But a year later, then, he ended up baptizing her. So being able to see an entire family respond like that was such a blessing. One last one. I remember Goldie May. Goldie May was a gal that... Uh, um, before this occasion, I'd never met before. Her grandson went to our church, and his name was Jeff. And Jeff, he said, he said, Grandma, um, she's in pretty bad shape, and she's in the nursing home in Colchester, Illinois, and which was about a half hour away. And he said, if you go talk to her, um, she's she knows she's going to die, and she's scared. And I said, you bet, I'll go talk to her, and. Had the opportunity to sit and talk to her. Um, she was really attentive, so it was a long um, opportunity uh, to be able to visit with her and shared the gospel with her. And she responded, accepted the Lord, and then I was like, Goldie, do you want to be baptized? And she goes, Well, I'd love to, but she was like either bedridden or wheelchair bound. She could not stand with any weight at all on her feet. And so I got a nurse to come in, and I said, what do you have that can hold a bunch of water? And he said, well, we've got this old bathtub, a deep well bathtub, you know, the kind with the old lion paw feet on it. And uh, we, we, we give baths to some of our residents. Goldie's been in that before. I said, let's do that. Go ahead and fill it up. And she said, sure. And, and uh, it ended up, when this happened, several of the nurses came into that room because they wanted to see what was happening. And, and she had filled it up to the overflow spot, and it was like, I said, we need to put more water in. She goes, well, I can't. And I said, give me a washcloth, and I stuffed it in that overflow. And I said, put four more inches of water in there. And so then they used, and I don't know what the technical term is, but it was a hoist of sorts, to lift her up out of the wheelchair and put her into this bathtub baptistry that we were using. And I had the privilege of baptizing her into Christ. Two months later, she went on to her eternal reward. And, you know, and I've looked back at that many times over the years. And that and these others and additional ones too. And just thanking the Lord for the privilege of being able to be a part, a small part of those. And, and so I share that and I share the rest of what I've shared here today because there may be another story waiting to be told right here in this room. There may be 
one of you that for whatever reason, this has been one of those things that you've had good intentions, but you kind of drug your feet on. And it's like, oh yeah, I love the Lord. And oh, I don't want to live a life of sin. But you just stop short when it comes to the old baptism thing. For whatever reason it might have been. And it's just like, let's be obedient to the Lord. And see the blessing that He brings. I had a um, an evangelist. I've told you before that I did. We did revivals, week-long revivals in Illinois, and uh, I had this one guy that came. He was a unique character, and so during the day we'd go around to different homes and and just you know talk to people, not one-on-one, but in a small setting. And and we went to this one lady's house that she goes to our went to our church, and she had three elderly. Uh, people living at her home that she was taking care of. And so we were talking to one of the people there. And um, and so this evangelist was sharing with him and helping to connect the dots in his mind as far as the gospel and all was concerned. And, uh, and this man, he kept nodding in agreement. And so the evangelist said, said uh, so, so you're ready. Let's get baptized today. How about it? And, and the, the old fellow's response was, he said, yep, I, that's a great idea, and I'm sure one of these days I'll get around to it, and I'm going to do that. Well, first of all, given his age, didn't know what, how many more of these, one of these days he had left, but uh, he, he said, one of these days I'll get around to it. And so the guy I was with, he reached into his pocket, and he pulled out like this wooden coin. And he handed it to him. He said, all right, so now let's do it. And the guy was looking at it. And he said, you said you were waiting to get around to it. but well, now you got around to it. Now, if you've never seen this before, these, these come in wood and they come in, in metal coins. But, uh, yeah, around to it. And, uh, and I tried reading that, some of those words I can't see very well up here, but this is a valuable tool and talks about, you know, things that, that you just haven't gotten to, you haven't accomplished until you got around to it. Well, now you got around to it. And, uh, <laughs> all right, that's kind of unique. Um, but, you know, for whatever reason, maybe that's been the attitude that someone in here has had or someone that's listening online has had. He's just said, oh, yeah. Got good intention. One of these days, I'm going to do that. Well, in regards to that, there is one question that comes to my mind. I'm going to skip through a couple passages here. It's this question. What are you waiting for? If you know Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, you know He died on the cross to pay the price for sin. And was buried and he rose again. And you want to claim him as your Savior and your Lord. Then what are you waiting for? Let's do this. Let's get baptized. Now, I want to encourage you today that if you want to pull a staff member aside and let us know. I mean, we've already had someone from the first service do this. That, that yep, I had good intentions, but I want to get this done. I want to do this. Let one of us know. There's a connection card in your bulletin. You've got a place on that, the back of that, you can mark 
down, and we'll follow up with you. And uh, what are you waiting for if you haven't done it? Let's close out this with prayer. Okay? Father, I'm thankful for the opportunity, the opportunity that we have to be able to know your will for our lives and to not be guessing and, and just kind of wandering around blindly, you know, trying to figure things out, but rather we, we have it. You've preserved it for us in the pages of Scripture, and we can read it and we can see it. And even though sometimes from the worldly mindset perspective, some of the stuff doesn't add up or make complete sense, but yet when we look at it and we look at what is behind the spiritual dimension of the message that is communicated with it, like this thing of baptism. Lord, we, we are grateful for the opportunity to be able to share in that experience. The ending of an old way of life, the beginning of a new way of life, one dedicated to be lived for you. Thank you for giving us the forgiveness that makes that possible. Say in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Hey, a couple quick announcements for you.